Well, the story begins to turn here, and we're going to get a master class from Ruth on the issue of favor. That's what the entire chapter really is about, and so we're just going to take a moment to like dive into what it looks like to be in and under the favor of the Lord. She's going to take us all to school and show us exactly what it means to be a people who live and walk in the fullness of that. I don't know if you've ever had favor before. In fact, I think most of us could probably think back to a time where you've experienced favor in some way, that you've had someone who thought much of you. Maybe it was a, 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 a teacher or a coach or a friend in some way or someone who had resource that saw that you were in some kind of need and they had favor, you had favor with them. You had, there was something that they were able to give or impart or uh, give over to you because of a favor that you had with them. And it really meant something. And you know that it meant something to you because you've also had experiences where you didn't have a bunch of favor, where life wasn't so easy or you weren't so in the good graces of someone before. We've all had all of those experiences and we know how much it means to actually experience having and walking in favor. And it's certainly amazing And so good to have favor with people. But listen, it's nothing in light of what it means to walk in the favor of the king of the universe. And that's where this young woman is going to find herself, having walked through incredible tragedy and coming up under the favor of The Lord. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with longing for and wanting to walk in the favor of God and even the favor of man. How do we know that? Because Jesus is growing up, he's 12 years old, and Luke chapter 2 tells us something really powerful about Jesus himself. It says, And Jesus increased as a young man in wisdom and in stature and in what? Favor with God and with men. Now, if the Son of God was growing in favor, with God and with men, then church, we got a, a beautiful destiny for us to begin to step into. Because whatever the Son of God stepped into for us are the footsteps you and I were meant to walk in behind him. You and I are meant to be walking under the favor of God and men. Candidly, when you and I walk in the favor of God, it opens the door for walking in favor with men. So Jesus is stepping into this thing And I believe this whole passage is going to kind of open our hearts and open our eyes to what it means to be walking in favor. That's the one question we got to be asking here. How do I live in the favor of God in my life? What does it mean to walk in and grow in and receive the favor of God? Now, Ruth and Naomi find themselves back in Bethlehem. That's Naomi's hometown, and they have exactly one thing going for them. They have literally, no, they lost their family. They don't have anything going with them. They got one thing. They have one thing going for them, a God who sees the downtrodden. That's what they have. They have a God who sees. And so they've made the journey back. And I'm going to just say this. If you even find yourself right now in a moment where you feel pressed down or you feel downtrodden, you need to know something. You are not alone. There is a God who sees you. 
He knows it all, and he is ready to bring you under his wing. And that's where these women are headed. Now, I don't know if you guys ever do this, but I kind of try to imagine the conversation that Ruth and Naomi have as they go back home. It's easily two to three weeks journey. Moab is on the east side of the Dead Sea. They have to go all the way north around the Dead Sea. They have to cross the Jordan, then go up the hills into Bethlehem to get back home. A very arduous journey, and I'd say dangerous. By the way, this is during the season of the judges. There aren't kings. There's not a great government going on. They're just trying to trust God. It's kind of the Wild West out there, but worser. So that's what it is, and they're trying to make it through. Now, I always wonder, what were those conversations like as she said, no, I'm not going back home. Ruth said, I'm not going back home. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you stay, I'm staying. Your God's going to be my God all the way to the end. And I'm thinking about those conversations because, you know, they actually had to have a conversation because back in this day, and I don't even know if you know this, they did not have the internet (laughs) or phones. So they'd do this weird thing. They had to have conversations with each other. Crazy. So they're having these conversations. I'm just wondering, they're thinking, how are we even going to survive I think Ruth knows she's coming from a a, a pagan place with a God who's not kind. And she's asking, how are we even going to make it? And I imagine these conversations that they're having. And I'm imagining that Naomi says, you need to know something about my God. He set something up in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You know what Deuteronomy chapter 24 says? It says, when you go out, Oh, Israel, when you go out and you reap the harvest and you bring in the olives and you bring in the grapes and when you accidentally drop some or leave some behind, don't you go back for those because I have left those sovereignly for the foreigner, for the sojourner and for the widow and for the fatherless. Now, listen, you know who's a sojourner and a widow And who's fatherless? Ruth is. And she's going, are you kidding me? Your God sees those? Those are the people who die. Where I come from, when you're fatherless and widowed and you're a foreigner, you don't live. But our God, God of the universe says, I see the downtrodden. There's no one who escapes my eye and he put it into his law. I'll care for them. And so she's ready to step out and trust in a way she's never had to step out and trust before. And so she says this phrase, well, let me go out to the field and glean among the ears of grain and after him in whose sight I shall find favor, which is effectively her saying, hey, We're poor. We don't have anything. Maybe someone won't mind me gleaning what was left over after the reaping of the harvest. And we begin to see step one of what it means to actually be someone who walks in the favor of the Lord. You know what it means? At the very center of being someone who walks in the favor of the Lord is that we see and know that we are in desperate, desperate need of God. 
and unafraid of it. Listen to me. The most offensive thing you can say to an American is, yeah, we're needy. Nobody wants to be needy. Nobody likes to be needy. Nobody wants to be needy. But I can assure you, in this room, there's not one human in here that isn't desperately needy. We all are. The question is, will we awaken to our need that will bring us up under the wing of the Almighty? We don't love this idea, but Jesus actually pulls it to the surface. There's, um, in Mark chapter 10, there's uh, a, a young man, or what we call a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, tell me how I can have eternal life. Would you tell me what I need to do in order to experience and have eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, brother, let me tell you. And he begins to unpack the heart of God through the Ten Commandments. And he says, if you follow and trust in these things, you can begin to have eternal life. And he says, well, he says, well I already do all those things. I follow the law to the T. Is there anything else? He says, Jesus says, there's one more thing. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The man drops his head and he turns and he walks away. And he's hurt and he's broken. What's Jesus trying to get at? Is he coming after those who have money? No. God's not, let me say, God's not afraid of money. He owns it all. And he's blessed people beyond measure all throughout the scripture with resource. That's not the issue, is it? What's the issue? He wants this young man to know if you want to be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you want to have eternal life, it begins with you knowing you have need. Not about dollars. You can have all the dollars in the world. That's not going to take away the fact that you and I are needy. And we can't enter into the kingdom without understanding it in a really deep and profound way. God is a God to those who have need. And we can't get there with him without experiencing that and knowing that. We tend to think that being under the favor of God means we have a lot of things, and that isn't necessarily totally true. Those who have need are the ones who experience the fullness of God. It opens us up. You want to know, how do I begin to step into the favor of my God? It says, the scripture saying, open your heart up to the fact that you right now, brother or sister, are in desperate desperate need. Jesus preached it this way in the sermon that turned the world upside down, Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I imagine a gasp in the crowd. Who would ever say, blessed are the poor in spirit? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they will inherit the kingdom. Meaning, blessed are those who finally discover right now, every one of us are in desperate need because when you and I know we're in need, then we can have it all in him. We begin to give our hearts over 
to the Father. You can have all the dollars and do all the things. You and I are still desperately in need. There, listen, there are more things in your God-ordained soul that you have need for that money cannot fix. There are more things in your God-wrought, God-fashioned soul that you have need for right now that dollars cannot fix. And God's opening us up to understand that. The Christian should be the, the Christian man, the Christian woman should be the most needy people on the planet. Wanna know why? Because you and I have finally discovered the vacuousness of the human heart, the inability to create own life, the inability to save ourselves from our own destruction, the inability to create our own hope or our own lasting joy. The Christian is the one who said, I've gone my own way and it never works out. There is one way I need him. I need him. I need God. That is the pathway into the kingdom and it is the pathway for you and I to begin to experience the favor of the God of the universe. It's, we say it all the time, open hands that say, God, I need you. I need you bad. And I can't fix the things, but you can. I need you. And when you and I find ourselves in need, whether it's resource or finances or relational or emotional or spiritual places, that's the moment where you and I look up and say, God, I need you. And as surely as I'm saying this, I believe you can begin to think right now about where you need him in your life and in your heart. You're gonna walk in the favor of God, open your hands and put your face in it and say, God, I need you. I need you. With a desperation that you and I maybe haven't had in a while. It's challenging. It can be challenging in this world we live in. You know, after he talks to the rich young ruler and he walks away, you know, he gathers his disciples around and you know what he says? You gotta love Jesus and his illustrations. He says, let me tell you something. It's, he gets the idea of a needle and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of this needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? And it's not about dollars. It's when you and I live in a world where we don't have need, we can't come to the source. Self-sufficiency will crush us. God's looking for a people who have need. You wanna walk in the favor of God today? Turn your hands up and say, God, I need you. I need you. And mean it and believe it and see what the Lord will do. So Ruth does that. She's awakened very clearly to her need. She hopes to experience favor. So she sets out, verse three, she sets out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it says she happened to come upon or come to the part of a field that belonged to Boaz. 
It's clear from the narrative here. She doesn't know. She's just going out and gleaning. She has no idea. She's just following the law that um, imagine Naomi taught her about on their way home. And she's out there and she doesn't know what is going to happen next. By the way, a literal rending, uh, the, the literal Hebrew rendering is that happened to come upon is happened to happen. Or she by chance chanced upon. Meaning God's making this evidently clear. All right. The sovereign of the universe is working in a unique way. This isn't, by the way, seas parting, fires not coming down out of heaven. That's not what's happening here. This is the providential, sovereign king of the universe who's working for her good. When you live in need of God, you're going to begin to find yourself, hear this, at the right place at the right time. I'm going to say that again. When you and I start coming into authentic need of God, you will begin to find yourself at the right place at the right time. He is the sovereign of the universe. Just for clarity, there is no luck. All right? Just hear this. we're We're pretty strong about this in our home. We don't say luck. All right? That's like the most normal thing in the world. Somebody at the right place at the right time, what do they say? I got so lucky. It's awesome. Listen, there is no luck. There's a providential king of the universe. That's what exists. You and see, you're in the right place at the right time. God's working for your good. That's what's happening here. She's seeing the omniscient God who sees everything, and more importantly, He sees you and He sees me. He sees the sad and He sees the downtrodden, and He's working for her. He sees the victories, He sees the defeats, He sees and knows all. And hear this He's got a path for you into Boaz's field. He's got a path for you into Boaz's field. If you come with need, come with hands open. It's there. And what do we learn? Is that when you're there, you want to walk in the favor of God, you walk with just true and authentic humility. You come with your need, hands open, and when you get there, the right place at the right time, you operate in humility. That's what we see about Ruth. In verse seven, she goes out and glean in the fields. And what does she do? She actually asks for permission. Boaz is going, who's this lady out here I've never seen before? What's going on with her? And her, what is his workers? His workers tell him, well, she came here and she asked. She didn't presume. She didn't come in and say, I know what the law is, so I'm going to start reaping. I'm going to start harvesting here wherever I can. I know what the law is. She comes to the field and she goes, would you guys be okay? Would it be all right if I could also glean here among you? And he's kind of taken aback by that, right? Picking up what others have left off, left, uh, off. And she doesn't live with a heart that says, I deserve. She comes to the field. She doesn't know what Boaz's. So he wants to talk to her. And in verse, at verse eight and nine, he says, Lay, listen, I don't want you to glean anywhere else. I don't want anyone to take advantage of you or harm you. You're safe here. Glean from my fields only and all the water and all the food you're going to need. And you can invite her to lunch later. He's going to say, listen. And by the way, she picks up three or four weeks worth of grain one day. Usually they pick up one day's worth of grain to take care of themselves for one day. She goes back with a month's worth of supply for both of them. And what's her response? 
Heck yeah, it's about my time. I deserve this, son. No, it's not what it says at all. It's the exact opposite. How does she respond to this kind of kindness with entitlement? No. She says, verse 10, she fell on her face and bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I don't deserve. She knows where she stands. Hear this. Listen, true authentic humility is the safeguard on our lives. It is a safeguard. And I'm, unfortunately, we're living in a world that is increasingly looking at a spirit and attitude of humility with disdain. We're living in a world right now. There is a, if there's a spirit that is thick among the world right now, it is a spirit of entitlement. I deserve, I demand you owe. And it's the easiest thing. Unfortunately, I think it's the easiest thing in the world for us to take on that mentality as it circles about in the spirit of the principality of the air. I deserve, why don't I have this or that? If that person has this, I deserve this. It's a poison. It's the opposite of humility. And it's the easiest thing. Anytime you and I have been mistreated and no one's asked for forgiveness or when our hard work goes unnoticed, the easiest thing in the world is to take on an entitlement mentality. And the Lord is saying, no, you don't have to go down that road because I see everything. I see everything. I see everything. The people around you and the world around you may not see, but hear this, the God of the universe sees it all come with humility. He wants to bring our things that we're hurt by to him, not to bury them, right? God's not asking you to be a doormat to get run over by the world in humility. That's not what actually humility is. Humility says, I'm bringing the full scale thing in me, my full heart to you, Lord, and I'm telling you all about it. I'm bringing it all to you. I'm offering it all. And I'm putting away, I deserve, and I'm opening up my hands to say, I need. I need from you, God. Proverbs 3, 34. Toward the scorners, God, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. James says it this way, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so how does she respond to this incredible grace that she's experienced? She begins to just do what we're all called to do, to experience the favor of God, is drink in the cup of gratefulness, thankfulness, If you wanna walk in the favor of the Lord, be needy for him with an authentic humility and let thankfulness rise up. And I say drink the cup because it's not something you and I conjure up. It's actually something that comes from what we believe about God. Do you believe he sees you no matter what? It would be the easiest thing in the world to say, my father-in-law is dead, my husband is dead. There is no God. And what we see is 
someone walking through some of the hardest circumstances you can walk through saying, thank you, God, for your grace in my life. What does she say? Verse 13, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I'm not even a servant, meaning I'm lower than a servant. But I'm so grateful for what you've done. She doesn't even consider herself worthy of it. It's not something that she's conjuring up. It's coming from a deep-seated belief that was inside of her, and she's now walking in the favor of God. And Boaz is actually going to spoil. He's going to tell her why he, she has found favor with him. Right? Favor with Boaz, but ultimately favor with God. That's what this is about. He's going to spoil it for us, and he's going to tell us the whole reason in verse 12, right? Because in, back in verse 10, what did she say? Why have I found favor with you? I don't have anything. I have, I have nothing to give, nothing to offer. How is it that I've experienced favor with you? And Boaz tells her in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What he's saying is, you and I don't experience the favor of God because we went out and earned it. You and I experience the favor of God when we come up under the shadow of his wings. You want to earn the favor of God? Good luck. It's not happening. You don't have enough goodness in you. You don't have enough good ideas. You don't have enough dollars, resource, ideas, thoughts. There's nothing that can earn the favor of God. You want to know what earns the favor of God? Come up under the shadow of his wings and find refuge with him. Open your hands and say, I have need. God, I need you. I'm broken without you. My life's not going well and right. I'm trusting you and I'm staying here with you. She's not some employee getting blessings from a boss or wages from a boss. Why? Because she's just honored for the opportunity to get near and find refuge under the Lord and his generosity. She didn't go back to Moab. What did she do? She went forward to hide under his wings. That's where favor is. That's where favor is. It's under the shadow of his wings. That's the message. Over and over. In the Old Testament, New Testament, this is the gospel. That God will have mercy. Hear this. God will have mercy on anyone who will come up under his refuge and find themselves in him. Anyone. Team, you guys can come up. We'll finish. God's not a, what he would say in the scripture, a respecter of persons. Meaning God doesn't look at male or female, black or white, this nationality, this continent. God's not looking at any of those things. You know what God is looking at? Who wants to come find refuge under my wing? He will do it for Israel. He'll do it for anyone in Moab that's willing to leave and come up under his wing. He'll do it for anyone in Israel. He'll do it for anyone in Palestine. 
He'll do it for anyone in France. He'll do it for anyone in America. He'll do it for even people in Canada. By the grace of God, I'm just kidding. Always just poking it. If you're a Canadian, I love you. God is ready to pour out his favor, not because you came with all your awesomeness. God's ready to pour out his favor when you hold your hands open and say, I can't do this anymore. I need you. I need you. I need you. And to believe that with your whole heart and your whole soul and your whole mind, your whole body. And I don't come with a spirit of entitlement like the spirit of the age. I come with humility and gratitude. And I trust you all the way until I see you face to face. That's where you and I want to be for the rest of our lives. Can't guarantee that all of life will be easy on the journey. In fact, I'm guessing there was some like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to work, God, but we're coming home. And God came through and he will come through with you. You stand with me. We're going to finish in worship and then we're going to have the glorious chicken. But would you give the Lord this last five to seven minutes? Would you just give it to him and no one else? I'm asking you. Lord, we're going to lay down, lay down all the things. Would you just, wherever you're at right now, lay down all your fears, worries, doubts, concerns, hand them over. And would you turn your hands? If it's helpful for you to do it with your body, do it. But would you come to him and just tell him in your heart, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need you. I need you relationally. I need you spiritually. I need you emotionally. I need resource. Some of you have need for resource. Would you just tell him? We don't know how it's going to work, God, but we need you. We're opening up our hands and we're coming with humility and gratitude, trusting you, God. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. You're the only one we need. We want to come up under the shadow of your wing. We want to take refuge. Take refuge right now. Run. Cover me. Care for me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Wash away my brokenness, my sin. Give me your righteousness. Make the exchange right now. Your righteousness. You get all my brokenness. You get my sin. You get my shame. You get my guilt. You get my failures. You get it all. Hand it to him right now. You get it all. And I get, I receive righteousness and holiness and purity and resource and help and hope and joy forever. Thank you, God. We just want you. Let's worship.